We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Aitman is intercepted by Sam Mills. Steve Smith is going to go all the way. Panthers win in overtime. Newton steps up, throws for the end zone. Olsen, touchdown! Brian Burns to the house. And it is caught for the touchdown by Moore. And in the foot race, McCaffrey to the end zone. He pounded on three. One, two, three. He pounded Welcome to another episode of The Roar, brought to you by Blue Wire. I am your host, Billy Marshall, and as always, joined by my co-host, Mr. John Ellis, and I would be remiss to start this podcast off without congratulating John on his new daytime gig, or I guess daytime and nighttime. Nighttime, yeah, the nighttime. How you doing, Billy? Good to see you, man. Uh, glad to be back. Uh doing a little third shift work over at BMW here in Spartanburg and uh, hey, it pays the bills. It gives me an opportunity to do more during the day with uh, you know guys like you and, uh, and enhance our portfolio with the uh, Panthers coverage and uh, it takes the pressure off from that end. So th- it's been good. It's been an adjustment getting used to the schedule, but um, no, I'm, I'm looking forward to talking Panthers, man. There's obviously he things are heating up with OTAs and watch that documentary on their uh, website lots to talk about yeah there's certainly uh, quite a few to talk about but again this time of the year uh it, you know the coverage just on the nfl landscape it's kind of it's not necessarily the official dead time um but it is very yeah. slow as far as what you can get even the otas uh, teams are particularly sensitive about media access i don't think they have access to one ota per week um, and then, you know, they have the mini camp at the, in the, like the middle of June. And then after that, it's essentially nothing's happening until late July. So uh, we're going to try to keep you as up to date as possible with any Panther related news. Um, but yeah. I think we should start this show off uh, by giving a quick little recap of the Panthers confidential, which is a documentary produced uh, wonderfully produced by the Panthers digital team. Um, they posted mm-hmm. it on their YouTube and on their team website. Uh, essentially, it details the entire draft process and free agent process and dra- draft and free agent process. Um, some of the decisions that they made. They go and look into um, Scott Fitterer's office, David Tepper's office, Matt Rule's office. Um, you get some background with a few players, Robbie Anderson and. Sam Darnold, 
Um, so it was uh, wonderfully produced, like I said earlier, and uh, just an overall great work by the digital team. But, um, you know, for our purposes, I think we, we should start the show off by kind of going into detail about some of the key decisions that were made by the team, um, not only during the draft, but also with the Sam Darnold trade, they kind of had a, mm-hmm. you know, sit down a little meeting um, between their personnel staff to, uh, that allowed them to uh, select uh, or to pursue Darnold in uh, the trade market. But first right. let's, let's, let's jump right. I mean, first of all, what were your, just your overall thoughts on the entire documentary? Then we'll get into specifics. No, I mean, I, I, Billy, I thought it was remarkable. I mean, every time that uh, Bill Voth and his team puts out uh, content, it, it's worth sitting down and taking a look, no matter what the focus is. You know, we talked to Bill a few weeks back here on the roar and, and, you know, he had mentioned what a busy time it was for him and obviously something was cooking and this was it. And uh, yeah, I, I just thought, you know, we, we have gotten to know some people, you and I both around the league over the last couple of years, uh, including somebody in particular within that organization who does a lot of work on the personnel side. And it was fun to watch all of that play out is sort of, as we have discussed with this individual leading up and during and after the draft, it sort of played out like we thought it would. And, and it kind of did from our perspective, uh, the, the discussions between, you know, Matt Rule, Scott Fitterer, uh, Samir Suleiman in the background there. And, and, and yeah, he, seemed to have a, he seemed to have a pretty big role. He, he did. He did. He was very much involved, I think, on the, I guess, the analytic side of, of, of the trade value piece during draft day, which I thought was, was really cool. Uh, they would turn to him and ask him what the value is and if this is equitable. And um, they seem to have, like, like we talked about, they, they, during the draft, the sense I got from talking to sources is they were really in control. They had a good process. I was happy to see Dave Tepper's role in that. Uh, I, I think he was very much involved, but not on the eval side. It was more of a, you know, look, I'm the owner of the team. Should we be doing this? Should we not be doing this in terms of trades? But he let his guys do the work. Like yeah, Billy. Yeah, it was um, it, it was good oversight on, on his end. He just, I, I remember there were a couple of moments, yeah. especially in that first round, where he was like, "Make sure you hear all the offers and make sure yeah. you write all them down and just take your time. Don't need to pressure or run it through." Oh, right. Um, well, reminded him. I think there were a couple times, and um, let, let's start off with this because I think the first big scene was when they were on the clock and. Mm-hmm. I think Minnesota called and immediately after, I think they said 90 and 43, but Minnesota did not have pick 43. They traded that uh, when they uh, picked up Yannick and Gakwa. So they didn't have a second right. round pick. Minnesota had uh, 143, which is a fifth. It's a fifth. Yeah. It's a four. It's it's anyway, a day Four's three a pick, fifth. a day yeah. three pick. Um, so they wanted to trade a third and a day three pick. Now, I posted that tweet. I thought it was a laughable trade offer. And of course, Minnesota yeah. fans start running to me and all of them start hurrying and they say it wasn't laughable by the trade chart. And I, I agree. The value on it was totally legitimate. I, I'm not trying to, I, I probably, I, de- I deleted the tweet because I just didn't want to deal with that anymore. <laughs> um, but yes, that's a, good po- that's a good policy in life, by the way. You just I get just, to a point you're like, fuck this. I don't need this in my life. Yeah, no, I just, I, I muted a bunch of Minnesota fans and I deleted the tweet. I just wanted to end it because I, uh, they just missed Teddy. That's all it is. I was really kind of annoyed, especially yesterday morning when it came out because I had a lot of work to do as well. Anyway, yeah. um, <laughs> my, my whole point here is that, you know, while the value is accept- acceptable, you have to also realize there were still two quarterbacks on the board and the Chicago Bears had offered them a future one. Right. And right. there was other reporting. I'm seeing that the Bears, that that same offer that the Bears gave to the Giants was also applicable to the Broncos at nine and to the Cowboys at 10. So yeah. that offer that the Bears eventually gave to the Giants was the offer that Carolina gave. So Carolina, if they wanted to move back, they wanted to do it for a future one. They didn't want to of do course, it. Of course. Of course. Yeah. yeah. That, yeah it was, fans would have been outraged in Charlotte for good reason for for the team if they had made that move, particularly, like you said, with two uh, many considered to be top 15 quarterbacks still on the board. That that skews the value a little bit, in my view, to, no, 100%. to, to the first round side. Yeah, you can't walk away from that 
A, without a quarterback, B, without the guy you want, and C, without a first-round pick. You can't do that. If I will say one thing I will say to the if the, if the trade actually was, if Minnesota did have a second-round pick and they offered a second and a third, I think that's a little more ex- – well, for, first of all, it's, it's definitely an acceptable trade, um, but I think I would swallow it much better. But if it's a second and a yeah. fifth, then to me, no, it, it no, seems that's... Minnesota would just want – it seemed to me like Minnesota was calling just a call to get an idea of what it would take. And again, yeah. I, don't, I don't blame them at all. I, I do not blame them at all. I should no. I probably shouldn't have called it a laughable offer. I should probably take into consideration that a, they are a team that very much values draft picks. And you saw that when they traded down. Um, yeah. But yeah, it, it, that was a, that was a pretty cool scene. And um, they were kind of going back and forth. I think I also heard them. They wanted to flip spots with Denver at nine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was yeah, which is interesting. <laughs> um, because Denver, you know, all the reporting and all the comments from their GM and their head coach said that Sertain, um, that he was there, rated as their best defensive player. So um, I don't know how true that was or what they were offering. Maybe it was like a fourth or a fifth. Um, anyway, so that was the first big moment of the uh, documentary um kind of what was your perspective after that trade um what kind of stood out to you after that immediately because i'm trying to like kind of recall some of the key moments on that first night of the draft uh which trade you talking about billy well the proposal that minnesota gave what was the proposal Uh, you know yeah i thought you know to to me i I, laughable is not too strong of a word i mean i think you people get a little sensitive on twitter and that's fine but no i i think in general that that would not have been, like I said earlier, you, you, you've got the eighth overall pick. You've got two first-round graded quarterbacks still on the board there. Um, you, you've got to amp up the price a little bit at that point. And, and Fields right there gets me to my, to my point about him, Justin Fields, that is. Um, you know, I think we, we talked leading up to the draft, uh, me in, in particular, about the team's interest in Justin Fields being a little more ownership-driven than it was personnel driven. I, I, that's the sense that I was getting as we led up to the draft that look, this team very well could invest in Justin Fields at number eight, but they also gave a, a very good illusion that that was something that was possibly higher on their board than many believed. I saw the, the tweet today from the, my sports update guy that <laughs> sort of enhancing the, the picture and trying to, to see, you know, is fields there at the bottom of the list. Yeah. He was on their list that, I reached out to a Panther source today after that, and and I was like, yeah, yeah, we, of course, he was on our short list. He was there. He was at the bottom of our short list at number eight, and I think that played out. You know, the sense, I, I think the horn thing, at least from my view, w- was one of the worst kept secrets leading up. I they, they really invested a lot of time in J.C. Horn. They were at his pro day. There was a lot of reporting about their interest in him, Matt Rule in particular. Uh, they viewed him as, uh, you know, a Jalen Ramsey type, very long, very lean, a guy that can come in and compete with a lot of intensity. And it, it's a position of need as well. Um, Denver dealing up, possibly. I, I don't know if I understood that completely um, because I, I think that, like I said, that many around the league probably figured that Carolina had Horn rated higher than Sertan, but who knows? Maybe they didn't. I just know from my source that, you know, Horn was going to be the guy at corner leading up. That was their that was their game plan. Um, yeah, but yeah, I, I thought the first round uh, the, the documentary chronicled it in a fascinating way. I also think leading up to it, it it was cool to see Matt Rule up on the board there, sort of listing out their guys. You know, okay, one, two, three, four, five. Tepper was in the meeting. Um, you had, I believe, Suleiman was there. Uh, of course, yeah, it was just so. It was just those four. Just those four, yeah. Um, so, and I thought I thought it was a really good collaborative effort. You know, look, a lot of these the, – the team, I think, is going not – they're not trying to force-feed content to appease fans. It's not that. But I think it was good transparency on their part. Now, is every little nugget going to be revealed? Of course not. There's a lot that happened in that war room behind the scenes that was not privy to, of course, public consumption and will never be. And that's the way it should be. But I think the, the team and the digital team, uh, both collectively, the football side and the digital, did a great job of bringing it all together. Because the one thing I had said, Billy, leading up to this season was I wanted a better picture of who's doing what here. 
who's who's in charge of what, at least a general sense of how much influence does Matt Rule have on personnel? Scott Fitter, how does he communicate with his staff? They even had the scouts and, you know, this scene with all the scouts collected together at the yeah, end, but also cool. in the beginning talking about, uh, you know, one one scout in particular, their South area scout talking about J.C. Horn's strengths, what they like. Um, I just thought the whole thing was very well produced. We even got to see a little bit of Pat Stewart and what he does. Um, I, I was very impressed by how in control they were of their board, uh, especially in that first round leading up and with the trade offers. And Fitter is a cool cat, man. He was getting those calls. I believe Howie Roseman gave him a call at one point, and, and they said no to that. That was later in the draft. But uh, I, I was fascinated by it, Billy. It was great. Yeah, so, um, yeah, Tepper, he, he did a pretty good job of, again, just the oversight. He said, make sure you guys listen to every offer, um, best offer, best offer. And he told them um, negative points. We don't want that. And that's essentially what he means is I think he's talking about the trade value. Um, if it's negative in Carolina's favor, then – yeah, we don't want to hear that. So, uh, yeah, actually, the board point was interesting because um, to me, it seemed like Jalen Waddle was very highly rated on their board. By the way, that, that's something that, that I had reported leading up to the draft. That, that was a player that they it's had. so fascinating to me, the Jalen Waddle story, because you, I, I, you did report it. And yeah. I, I saw Jacksonville had him like number two behind Lawrence. And um, well, they had given him like a, more, like a very high grade. And then. Miami Rappaport tweeted after the draft that Jalen Waddle was number two on their board behind Lawrence. So yeah, yeah the, the Jalen Waddle evaluation um, from NFL teams seems to be much higher than, you know, do, those yeah. of us on the outside. Yeah, definitely. No, I, I think it was surprising because I, I had heard from a source, like you said, leading up to the draft that Waddle was, this is a couple of days prior to the draft that Waddle was a name to keep an eye on for Carolina. And that was a bit of an eye-opener. I think we we understood going in that, look, it very well could have been quarterback. Um, you know, uh, there was a lot of smoke screen from San Francisco, of course. Uh, I never felt that Mac Jones was going to be a 49er. Uh, I also had it on good authority on draft night to calm the waters on Twitter that from a source within that building that Mac Jones under no circumstances was going to be chosen at eight by the Panthers. So everybody was taking a deep breath there. Because for whatever you think about Mac Jones, he was not the answer for Carolina at number eight, not in my view. Um, but yeah, I thought the the, the eval on um, on Waddle was interesting. You're right because I think a lot of draft analysts, a lot of folks like you and I, it, it viewed him maybe not quite the way that some teams had. But uh, obviously, Carolina had him high on their radar. Yeah, uh, and then we see obviously the scenes that we've already seen with J.C. Horn driving to Charlotte. Um, we, we see the scenes of um, yeah. the Sam Darnold trade. I, I don't really think there was anything newsworthy in there. Uh, and then the Teddy Bridgewater trade when they're in uh, Scott Fitter's office and they're saying, we'll do the seven uh, for your six. Essentially, what that means yeah. is they will pay off $7 million of Bridgewater's salary yep. and they get the sixth round pick back. And I think they were speaking to the uh, Broncos general manager, George Payton. Um, yeah. Again, nothing too revealing there, but there is some revealing stuff uh, as we conclude day one of the draft. Um, this is when he brings all the scouts and Scott Fitter brings all the scouts. And um, and one scout says that, who are your guys for day two if you pick at 39? And he said, mm-hmm. Jeff Morrow, Jeff Morrow to be exact, says the Washington kid and TCU safety. And he's referring to Levi Ozariki, uh, yep. the Washington defensive tackle, and the yeah. TCU safety, Trevon Merring. Um, Again, uh-huh. we've reported on this show that Matt Rule was extremely high on Trevon. Um, we did, yeah. Yeah, and I, I, that would not have been a surprising pick. But I will say, I think that drafting a defensive tackle in the top 40, again, I don't think it would have gone well. No, that, that felt, and Morrow's been around forever. He, he it, had, it had the smell of a Marty Herney pick. To it. I think a little bit of Marty was channeled through Jeff there. And I think Jeff's great, man. He's a, He's a hell of a personnel guy, but yeah, I'm glad they didn't tilt in that direction. Yeah, and then after that, um, Fitter says we need a receiver, we need a tackle, we need a running back, um, and he says third round we are conviction guys. I th- I believe someone yep. said Tremble. Um, yep. Uh, so and Chuba Hubbard came up as well. Hubbard was a name that was thrown out there. Um, yes, Chuba Hubbard was a name that came up in the third round. Mike Martin yep. um, was one who brought yep. him up, but obviously, again, they did a really good job of playing the draft what that means is don't force if you, if you have an opportunity 
um, if you have like a guy like Chuba Hubbard great as a third round pick, don't necessarily need to draft him there. You can play it based on the, how the values and how the kind of the board is falling. They read, they did a great job. And I said this on draft night, you just from talking to the source that I had close to that war room that they just were riding that board beautifully, Billy. They, they were patient, even with the, the reporting that came out and it, it, you know, our, it's our good friend, Will Kunkel from Fox. He came out and, and sort of backtracked on it and, and rightfully so, because he's trying to do the right thing here, report accurately, but he interviewed Darren Gann and Darren had, you know, talked about some of the, you know, some of the atmosphere in the war room. And I think Will wanted to make sure that he characterized it properly, that it wasn't chaos. And I think you could see, I mean, there's only like 10 people in there. Yeah, there's 10. Yeah, there was. And two of them, two or three of them, like Stephen Justin's just kind of there as like an administrator. Then they, uh, I'm not sure who the female is, but she's like uh, essentially the one making, you know, like an administrator. She's the one putting in the calls to the league office. You've got your ad, you got your ad. Matt Allen's back there. He's not really. Matt, Matt Allen's uh, the, the the legend of Jerry Richardson continues. Yeah, but uh, again, he, he's not really like involved too much. It's mainly just Tepper, Rule, Evan Cooper, Fitterer, and and, and listen, Evan Cooper's in every big room, Billy. Let, let's just. <laughs> he's, I don't know what. I don't know. Another con- another topic for another day, I guess. Uh, yeah. No, you're right. I mean, there's ten in the room. And and let's see between between Drum and Steve Drummond, who's their uh, communications director. He's actually been at. at oh God, yeah, Stephen Stephen Justice is Twitter name, right? Yeah, he, it's his <laughs> last name's Drudger. He's a Drudger, good guy. I mean, yeah. I've I've known him for a bit. He's a Gamecocks guy. He's he's actually sort of Tepper's right hand man now. He's worked his way up to like an executive role within the uh, organization. Well, Ryan yeah, Anderson again, is the like even the then PR guy. But it just seems like there are only five people in there. There really are. Like kind of speaking and everyone else was just uh, essentially like well they're obviously doing their own work it looked like yeah. a well-oiled machine i don't want to take anything yeah. away it just seemed no. um it just seemed like the structure was coherent the core group was there and they were communicating virtually from what i understand you know you had guys they were all yeah for from what i understand in charlotte they were in the building they just couldn't be in the room um, and, and most of them, including the area scouts who are vital to this process, would, would poke their head in at times and, and people would rotate in and out. But for the most part, you had your core there. You had Matt Rule. You had, um, of course, Scott Fitterer, Pat Stewart, Simmer Suleiman, Dave Tepper. Those would be the big five. Evan Cooper, once again, who never like he never left Matt Rule's side the whole time, which uh, I've I reached out to a Panther source and I asked about that. And, and the, the, the word I got back was, look, Evan's well-respected. Every, he, he's got Matt Rule's ear nonstop. And that's just something that Panthers fans need to understand, that Evan Cooper is, is highly regarded by Matt Rule, and that's not going to change. Uh, for whatever reason, again, he's a DB coach. He, he's come through the ranks from Baylor, I believe. Um, and it's a relationship business is what this source told me. And so – there's a relationship there that dates back, and obviously there's a trust factor there where Evan has, has a, a little bit of an unconventional role as an assistant coach, uh, right. as somebody who has Matt Rule's ear. And then, of course, you know, you talk about Matt Allen, uh, the, the administrative people in the room, and then uh, Steve Drummond, the, uh, the the PR exec there. So, yeah, it was so, a small room. Uh, I, I also love how dimly lit it was. It was great. I, I, yeah, I mean, somebody, it, the room looked great. You look great. I, I, the story behind that I got from from somebody who was there was, it was mostly for glare. There there was a glare issue with where they were set up, in the suites there, and they did that to prevent a lot of glare issues. But it also played very well on TV. It looked very cool. It's the kind of room I'd like. The war rooms typically there's fluorescent lights. It looks like a depressing office building conference room. I, I was impressed by the the atmosphere and the environment. It filmed very well too, which yeah, I don't think was an sure. accident. <laughs> So let's get into day two. These we have quite a few nuggets here to kind of go over. Yeah. Uh, first thing, what I found interesting was that they had a trade ready to move back a third time to sixty-one yeah. with Buffalo. And yeah. if you remember, if you recall the reporting, there was some reporting I think by Darren Gant who said that the Saints were going to snap up Marshall at sixty. Yeah. If yep. he was there. So essentially 61 was Buffalo. So they were essentially just going to move back two spots. Um, they were going to be behind New Orleans. So 
I think it was probably good intel on their part not to do that trade because the trade back probably would have only get, given you a sixth or a fifth. So yeah. They probably received the intel and they said, okay, you know what? Uh, we're just going to make the pick here at 59. We're not going to move back two spots. Um, and they took Marshall because I believe Marshall was going to go to the Saints if they didn't do that. Um, the next part I want to get into um, day three of the, uh, or excuse me, the third round, again, where they kind of go into specifics with the Eagles about trading up two spots. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that, uh, well, they just gave up a sixth round pick, I believe, right? Right. Um, but uh, an interesting point made by Matt Rule is that he, he said that they have a second round grade, or excuse me, a second round guard. Let me phrase it rightly. They graded Brady Christensen as a second round guard in a third round tackle. Correct. Um, that was interesting to me. Yeah, that that was interesting. Now, I can tell you this leading up to the draft that I spoke with somebody who was at Christensen's pro day and uh, they were there, obviously, to, to scout Zach Wilson as well. But the, the Panthers were always high on Christensen. From what I understand, they've done two full years of work on him and have eyeballed him closely. The The, the piece about the, the second round grade on the guard, I can confirm that from talking to a source today, but that was not something that was made public before. That was a, that was a bit of a stunner. And um, I, I, I suppose that in their view, they, they want versatility at every position. They want people who can do a little bit of everything. They want, you know, a tackle who can kick inside. They want guys who can, you know, a free safety who can kick in the box like chin. Uh, I think it just speaks to what Phil Snow and Matt Rule and Joe Brady all look for in their players. Terrace Marshall, again, another example of a guy who you know, a lot of criticism came out, but not, not, not smart criticism, but just people looking to say, Oh, it's a Joe Brady pick. It's a lazy pick. Uh, you know what? That it's was not. one of the most lazy analysis. Lazy. Can, can you debunk that right now? Well, yeah, I mean, you, you know, the deal better, better than I do, but I'll just give you my two cents on it. He plays every position. He can line up in the slot. He can play outside. He runs the complete route tree. And, yes, it's a convenient thing that he understands Brady's schematics. So, yeah, no, it's okay to draft somebody with familiarity and not be called lazy over it. Marshall is a big guy. He reminds me of Musin Muhammad, good blocker, intense. I talked to one of the assistants at LSU on draft night, and, of course, he's going to amp him up. But he said, John, I'm going to tell you right now, buddy, I've looked at this guy for a couple years, and you're getting a steal. You're getting a guy that a lot of teams had a first-round grade on. And so I, I think it was a really good job by Carolina you know, getting Marshall. Cause yeah, you, you mentioned some other teams that were in the mix there, including new Orleans. Um, but yeah, it was just a, a lazy narratives. I have no time for it. I just don't put some depth into your analysis. If you're going to go there, otherwise I'm just going to laugh at it. Um, so now we get into the third round again, their second third round pick and interesting that Matt rule says that they narrowed their pick down to four guys and they were, he, he didn't mention specifically who Brown was. Someone mentioned it could have been Spencer Brown, the offensive yeah. lineman from Northern Iowa. Um, right. I Again, but it, he, the four guys he mentioned, he says Brown, doesn't specify it's Diami or Spencer. He says Trumbull, uh, Diablo, the safety from Virginia Tech, and Baron Browning. Right. Okay, so he, here's just my kind of thought process. Obviously, like, I don't know for 100% certainty if it was Spencer Brown or if it was uh, Diami Brown, um, Spencer Brown went at 93 to Buffalo. Uh, Diami though, he went one pick before Carolina at 82 been, to Washington. Yeah. So I don't really think it would have been, I think that Diami Brown at 83 would have been just a, a no brainer from a value standpoint. Like, yeah. yeah, I don't really care how many receivers you have. You have a, a guy, in my opinion, who's like a top 35 player. You take him. Um, oh yeah. And uh, again, you can never have too many receivers, but um, but they go with uh, Trumbull, and uh, they seem pretty happy with that. I, I think that was a good pick. And if you have those four guys rated closely, then I probably would have gone with um, Trumbull as well. Uh, that, Diablo, that felt that felt like a Matt Rule pick, Billy. It really did. Just yeah, from watching that doc. Yeah, he, he he had his hand raised. He wanted him. Uh, he was intensely <laughs> requesting Tommy Trumbull. He was definitely wanting that uh, that H back guy that. Yeah, we talked about it with Brett Cosell. Brett Cosell's comment was he'll melt your face mask off, which I thought was one of the best things he's ever said. You know, he's, he's an intense blocker. He's got some athleticism to where maybe that ceiling can be raised a little bit from a receiver perspective. But really, when you lose Alex Arm at fullback, when you lose Manhurts, 
who's sort of your wing guy out there who can make the blocking happen in the run game. Uh, yeah, Matt understood that they had to, uh, you know, fulfill that role. And I, I, I thought it was fascinating to watch uh, uh, that play Any, any thoughts on Diablo, them considering him? Or Browning? Both of them are like kind of light, kind of weak side linebackers. Yeah, I think, you know, they, they probably looked at it. I don't have any intel that says that was, you know, a, a pair of guys that were high on their board at all at any point. But, uh, no, I think that it's it's fair to say. Look, they're trying to figure everything out on defense still, too. Um, they've added Denzel Perriman, who's obviously a Mike. Uh, traditionally, they, they do have Shaq, who can, you know, play basically anywhere at linebacker. Um, Chin can do what he does. Uh, they've got Jermaine Carter. But, again, not a lot of depth there, not a lot of real depth at linebackers. So, I, I, I don't know, maybe, but uh, I just I think Tremble was going to be their guy. It's just, I think it was fun to watch throughout the draft. There were certain guys that were sort of consensus guys, and there was occasionally a guy that Matt Rule was determined to have, and I just think Trimble was one of those guys he fell in love with early on. Um, goes to show you about reporting, too. Just be careful what you hear because so much <laughs> reporting went into Mac Jones and Matt Rule and how close they were and how this is right at the senior bowl, what a bond they had and how impressed Matt rule was. And I can't stress so it enough from bad. a source, from a source within the organization had told me, and I didn't let this out of the bag until draft night, but I just want to let well, you guys uh, know, uh, uh, Jones was nowhere on their radar. He was nowhere on their radar. No, I agree. I agree. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, nothing really too crazy with the day three. Um, it, it did again, like we said earlier, they knew that they were going to uh trade down, yeah, as soon as they were on the clock in the fourth round because they knew they would still be able to get Hubbard, which they did. And then, um, you know, they went through the process with the other guys that they took Taylor, Nixon, uh, Deontay Brown, um, uh, which... Fletcher, and then Shai Smith, and then Hoskins. So yeah. Um, yeah. And don't pretty... forget, don't forget about our guy, the undrafted kid from Grambling, man. The, uh, yeah, the guard I, uh, that I you're mean, in love with. I wish they did have seen an undrafted free agents, but would have been cool. Uh, anyway, uh, pretty again, pretty great stuff. If you haven't watched it, I re- recommend watching it. Oh yeah. Um, uh, I mean, I've, I've watched it a few times already. Yeah, oh. I had to, I had to put it on another time. Like I watched it in bits and pieces kind of throughout the week. And then I sat down last night because uh, I, had, I had somebody who works with the team tweet at me and was like, Hey, if you DM is like, have you watched it yet? And I said, I kind of a little bit here and there, but I, I just sat down last night by myself, watched the whole thing. And it was, it was so well chronicled, including the little nuggets about Robbie Anderson the intertwined with Sam Darnold. But again, I was most fascinated with the draft process and they were very transparent. They, they showed a lot, but again, I think, uh, you know, the Justin Fields thing, look, uh, the, the, my, my last point on that is the team, obviously, a lot of teams, not just Carolina, has a, a bit of doubt there in terms of his translation to the pro game. And uh, we'll have to see, Billy. It's going to be interesting to watch that play out over the next few years because Carolina by no means is set at quarterback, by no means. Yeah, it's up to Sam Darnold to prove us all wrong. Um, yep. Okay. I'm going to – so, again, great stuff uh, by the Panthers digital team. Um, you know, let's let's transition now to look at the roster and how it stands today on May 28th. Um, there's just – the roster building process is a 365-day evaluation. There's It's never set in stone. And one example would be a couple years ago when – um, June 1st came and the Bucks released Gerald McCoy and the Panthers were able to uh, sign him. And I think with June 1st coming up, because of a lot of the salaries uh, become, you know, prorated in some way, I don't know the specifics of why that is, but yeah, there's still going to be opportunities, uh, players who are going to be available to help them, um, you know, in one way or the other. But as we look here at the roster on May 28th, uh, we won't have to do a 53-man projection, um, but for you, what stands out as the strength on offense currently? Well, I think receiver. I mean, you look right now. I mean, there's a couple of spots I like, but I'm just looking at the receiver rundown right now. And obviously, you've had, got Robbie Anderson in the fold. Um, there, there have been some 
I guess, unfounded rumors that he's on the trade block. I believe that when I see. Where did that come like, from? I, I don't know. Somebody on Twitter. Um, oh, uh, the most I'll reliable source. <laughs> when when I when I have somebody telling me that 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 is a realistic possibility from my sourcing list, I'll throw it out there with more with more clarity. But no, that's probably not happening. Uh, so yeah, you got Anderson. You've got uh, the number new new number two DJ Moore. That number looks good, by the way. Um, and then let's look behind them. Terrace Marshall Jr. You've got uh, David Moore from uh, Seattle. We've talked about the role he'll play in this offense at six foot two twenty. He's a big guy. He's a good blocker. He's a vertical threat on the outside. Uh, Shy Smith, I think, was a very good pick for them. It, it sort of fills that Swiss Army knife role that that, that Curtis Samuel is behind. Probably not going to be as productive right away. We understand that, but I think it's a good player. I'm fascinated to watch Omar Bayless, Billy. He had some injuries. Yeah, I agree. But- He's a 6'1", 210 kid, Arkansas State. Uh, this is year two now, and it's going to be fun to watch him at camp, uh, which, by the way, I'm excited. It's coming back to my hometown here in Spartanburg. I'm going to get a firsthand view of all these guys. So it'll be fun to watch. Uh, outside of that, they've got uh, Brennan Zalstra, who has contributed. Uh, Micah Simon, interesting guy there, Billy. He's a speedster. Uh, a scout told me that was in attendance there, that they liked him for his speed. He's not a big guy, not a guy they consider very physical, but he's a burner. Uh, BYU kid. Um, and then, of course, uh, you've got uh, Mark and Michael, the uh, brother of so- or Mark and Michelle, brother, brother of Sony Michelle. Uh, Keith Kirkwood's hanging around. One of those uh, Sean Payton, uh, Joe Brady guys. Uh, Vince Cheryl Bryant, uh, Ishmael Hyman. So, yeah, I think it's a deep group. I mean, you've got your core four right there. You've got Robbie, you've got uh, uh, DJ, you've got uh, Shy, I think, will play a role. And then you've got Terrace. Uh, with David Moore as well and other guys. Uh, I like that a lot. And I think they've done a good job, uh, believe it or not, of, of sort of solidifying things at guard. They, they look pretty decent there right now. I mean, Deontay yeah. Brown, the jury's still out, but they brought John Miller back, which I know you, you were happy about. I, I agree with that. I think he's a guy that gives them some stability there. Dennis Daly, 6'6", 325, is a swing man. He gives you that flexibility you like. Uh, they've added Mike Horton, and they've also got David Moore, the undrafted free agent we talked about from Bramley State, who I think uh, you you agreed with me that he comps out very well um, with uh, with Brown in terms of competing for a, a starting guard role. So I think it's fun to see what they've done along the interior line. Left tackle, uh, hey, look, it, it's going to be fascinating. They have yet to solidify that since 2013. They've gone through a rotation of guys. Greg Little's still out there. Who knows what's going to happen there? Taylor Moten's your right tackle. They like Trent Scott a lot, Billy. I think he might have the edge right now at left tackle. But, you know, Christensen, obviously, they invested a high draft pick in him. They like him. They like him as a guard, too. So you never know. But I think uh, when I look at it right now, uh, those two positions, running back as well. McCaffrey coming back. I believe Bonifant's still on the roster. And then you've added Chuba Hubbard. Uh, I think they're they're getting deeper. That's what we wanted to see, Billy. One of the reasons they lost a lot of these games late is just depth. Guys were getting worn down. They didn't have better rotational guys to come in relative to their competition, whether it's Kansas City, New Orleans, Green Bay, some of these close games they lost against good teams. So I think they've done a good job in those areas. Yeah, um, I would agree with that. And for me, I'm just looking at this um, – you know, on a numbers basis right now and just trying to project how many uh, players I'll keep at each spot. I, I kind of projected 24 on offense for now. Mm-hmm. Um, five receivers. Not, I put nine offensive linemen because I just – I can't figure out which one of them they're going to keep. And the, the guys I'm kind of penciling in that would be the nine would be Cameron Irving, Brady Christensen, Dennis Daly, Deontay Brown, Paradis, Elfline, Miller, Moton, and Scott. That's nine, and that still leaves Little and David Moore out. Um, yeah. I'm not sure if Little's going to make it. Yeah, I think that Little would definitely be gone. So, again, nine or ten, depending on if they if they can squeeze um, David Moore into the practice squad, or maybe they just cut John Miller. I don't know. Like, if, if David Moore is playing better than him, then I don't see why they yeah. should uh, – they, they, I think they, I think the versatility they liked with Christensen, they, a lot of people talked about little moving inside. I don't think that's a good idea. 
I don't think he'd be good at guard. Um, but I, I think that was sort of the writing on the wall, maybe for Greg. Now, we don't know. Maybe he stays. Maybe he blossoms at some point. He's had a bad run of luck there. He had the concussions. That was not good. Um, but he, he did not look like a premier left tackle. Obviously, he was not drafted as such. But, uh, hey, it's not like Carolina didn't invest in Greg Little. Uh, Marty Herney obviously liked him. Um, but I just don't think he's going to be around much longer. I just don't. I agree. I agree. Um, and again, I, I, I'm with you. I think receivers definitely the uh, strength of their team. It, By the way, it, just real quick, tight end is fascinating too because you have so many different guys that do different things here. Uh, Arnold is now listed at 6'6", 240. He was 220 before they put him on the roster, so I don't know if he's beefed up or what, but that's encouraging to see that he's added some weight if he has. Uh, I know last year it looked like he was listed at 220. Um so he's your move tight end, obviously. Ian Thomas, 6'4", 260. Look, I'm still a believer. You know, I, I don't know if, if it's, he's going to work out for him, but I've seen enough on tape to know he can do it. Um, he's got to get open. He's got to get in a position to where he can make plays. And maybe Joe Brady can scheme him up a little better than he did last year because I think our, our friend Scott Turner did some good things along with, with North to uh, get the ball in his hands during that uh, last stretch run with Cam Newton here. Uh, Colin Thompson's got some experience, and then Trimble comes in as sort of your your H back. I, I've I've heard him compared in the way they're going to plan on using him to Richie Brockle. So I think you might see him a little more at H back and in the backfield in a fullback type role than you will maybe going up the field and trying to make plays. He's more of an inline guy. So uh, I think the tight end position's kind of fun to watch. I'm I'm curious to watch yeah, Dan Arnold. It's, Dan, it's, Dan Dan Arnold's flashed at times, Bill. He's a fun yeah. player to watch. Um, I think it has the most upside um, on the entire roster as it stands. I think Arnold and Tremble, uh, they, they can each be unleashed in um, some positive ways. I also like Stephen Sullivan. I liked him coming out. Uh, so he's yep. going to be a guy that we watch a lot in the preseason. Another LSU guy. Yeah. Uh, so Ian Thomas, again, I think he's I think he's a roster lock. Um, depends. You know, obviously his future, obviously, is still uh, – to be determined, but I think right. I think they'll keep three tight ends, and I think the the three of them are most likely going to be Arnold, Thomas, Tremble. Um, you know, Thompson, Ricci, and Sullivan aren't really blockers, so you don't really have like uh, like Tremble probably going to be like the man hurts like replacement, yeah, uh, because he kind of made his name as a blocker at Notre Dame, and then mm-hmm. you could obviously sprinkle in him some as a receiver too. Uh, yep. But I'm 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 very curious to see what they do. I'm pretty sure they're only going to keep two quarterbacks this year. I think those two will be obviously Darnold and uh, I, I think PJ will get the nod over Greer. I think that's going to be a uh, an interesting battle into preseason uh, yeah. between Walker and Will Greer. And I think that they will keep four running backs. I think they will keep Cannon because he brings uh, the kickoff return ability. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think they will keep Bonifon, and I think that they will obviously keep uh, Chuba Hubbard. Um, so I think that the running back four position is going to be interesting because it's probably going to come down to uh, Bonifon versus Rodney Smith and Spencer Brown. Yeah. Um, so again, there's there's going to be a lot of competition in camp going in. And uh, let's quickly just go to defense. Um, you know, for me, I think the defensive line is this clear strength, and I'm talking about edge rusher and defensive interior when I mentioned defensive line here. Um, and I think that linebacker is probably their biggest area of linebacker. I would say linebacker and – well, linebacker is fine. I, I would say safety after is their biggest area of concern right now. Um, sure. You know, I, I would I would have said cornerback before the draft, but they got Horn and they were able to get – Taylor and they signed Boye. So I think they have right. a pretty, they have a pretty respectable uh, cornerback room, but I would say mm-hmm. safety is their weakest while the defensive line is their strongest. I agree. Let's hit on safety for a minute. Cause you've got Justin Burris coming back who, you know, had an up and down year. You played like a Justin Burris would play. He's sort of a journeyman veteran. Uh, gives you some, some some plus, you know, plays, and, and obviously he'll be out of position at times. Trey Boston is now gone. He was your veteran middle fielder. Uh, it, it, it gets back to the point of what Jeremy Chin's role will be primarily, and obviously we know he'll have a multiple 
uh, set of roles here. But, you know, he played a lot of free safety last year, Billy. I look back at some tape this morning, the Minnesota game, that Phil almost had him exclusively at free safety. And he played very well in that game. Yeah. You know, he made two impact plays and can cover so much damn ground. But he's also listed as a linebacker, which I, I wouldn't put a ton of stock into that. But um, you got Sam Franklin, who has flashed at times. Um, JT uh, Ibby, I believe his name is, from South Carolina. Uh, Kenny Robinson still hanging around, one of their draft picks from last year. Sean Chandler. So, yeah, you look at those names, and it doesn't inspire a lot of confidence. I mean, you're, you need – you need a little more there, I think. Now, is it going to be a, a three-safety alignment like we see a lot in passing downs? If so, who are your guys? Trey Boston's no longer there. Do they kick uh, chin back, presumably, into that rotation? Uh, who is your free safety? Who's going to be the free I don't safety? Think that, I think this is a position that we have to, we're going to have to watch how they address it, um, you know, and, and through waiver uh, pickups or through Agreed. trades or something because – they just signed a guy that they worked out of minicamp, Delano Hill. Yeah. Um, so this is this tells me that they are 100 um, percent still looking for competition and talent. Well, Lano Hill and uh, Miles Hartsfield too are two guys I forgot to mention. You're right; those are DBs that are sort of interchangeable. And Hartsfield showed a few flashes too. So I mean, again, you know, I I, I do like Franklin. I, I think he's sort of a dark horse to do some things. But again, who goes where? And that safety rotation, Phil does so many things. You know, it's like he confused the hell out of Aaron Rodgers because Rodgers is like, this is a college defense. I don't know what I'm looking at here. So it'll be kind of fun to watch how they align everybody up. Um, linebacker, you know, look, I, I agree with you. I, the thing I said earlier is depth. I'm, I'm a little concerned there. How much will they be using linebackers and core base? Probably not a lot considering their schedule. But again, Shaq Thompson is your leader there. Uh, they did bring back Julian Stanford, the Denzel Perriman, uh, who I, I do like a lot. He's not going to be a coverage guy, but he's an upgrade over Whitehead for sure. Um, he can represent that number 52 a lot better than his predecessor. Um, Frankie LaVou from uh, – I saw him flash a little bit with the Jets. I watched him play against Cam Newton last year. Did a few good things. Uh, but, again, Clay Johnson, Patty Fisher, UDFA from Wisconsin – or Northwestern, sorry – uh, yeah, I, I think they need to be a little better there. Jermaine Carter, I like him a lot, but uh, I, I don't know. I mean, that's still a position very much in question. But getting back to the defensive line, yeah, I mean, look, the edge rushers are there. I mean, you've got Burns. You've added Morgan Fox, who's a defensive end, defensive tackle hybrid, can do a number of things for you. Austin Larkin flashed a few last year. I, I kind of like what I see from him. They added Daquan Jones, a solid veteran, to kick inside with Derek Brown. And obviously the uh, addition of Hassan Reddick, which, which you and I talked about, was at a Matt Rule discount. <laughs> it's just Reddick would not have been gotten for that price if not for Matt Rule. So that's a good win for Carolina from the value perspective. And, you know, I saw him destroy the New York Giants single-handedly. Some of the sacks he had, Billy, I mean, they just were, were getting the ball out sacks. I mean, he, he feasts on quarterbacks in terms of trying to get the damn ball out. He's a good turnover machine if you cut them loose. So I think they're in good shape there. Defensive tackle's good. Here's something I wouldn't rule out either, Bill. You talked about later in the summer. Sources told me that k Short is not off the table. Um, if he gets right, if he gets healthy, he's a guy that can come back and contribute and move in the rotation. My understanding is Short still wants to be here. Um, he's not ruled it out, and the team has not closed the door on it. So I keep an eye on that. Yeah, Um that, that would be interesting. I still think, yeah, like you said, I think the defensive line, um, while it has been substantially improved, it you can never kind of have enough uh, interior defensive linemen to kind of nope. rotation. And and by the way, Christian Miller comes back too off of the COVID list, and he shows. Yeah, some I thought he was. I thought he was an okay. I, I don't know. Like, I, he obviously flashed his rookie season, but I've never really been too high on him. Yeah. I know other people like him, but. I think that Marquise Haynes is much more talented and he does a lot more things as a pass rusher. So if I'm like kind of putting bets on right now, I would say, you know, Haynes is probably a little ahead of him in the competition. And, uh, you know, I think Haynes and Gross Matos are your primary um, backups at at a rusher while Burns and Reddick are starters. So uh, it depends if they want to keep five edge rushers and, at that point, I think uh, Miller probably has a good chance, but 
who knows? And like, like we've said, man, we've, we got to knock on wood a couple of times. Just make sure these guys stay healthy. Um, oh, yeah. Because again, this is only May 28th. Uh, there's, we know for a fact that there will be injuries. That's just the way it is. Uh, yeah. These things happen throughout OTAs, mini camps, and you'll start seeing plenty of them throughout the league uh, once camps and preseason begin. It's just the nature of the beast. There's nothing we could do about it. If yes. I could throw in a time capsule that says that no one ever gets injured in the preseason, then that's oh, great. But it's, it's, you know, it, it's look, about, Carolina has seen this over the years. You're, you're exactly right. I mean, look, I mean, it, 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 Cam Newton comes to mind. Look, I was at 2019's camp, and not to beat the Cam Newton horse to death here, but he looks so good that the offense looked in, in, in complete rhythm. And uh, the, the, the foot injury in the preseason game derailed that, obviously, from his perspective, and, and that sort of ended their relationship. But uh, here's what I'll say about what about camp and, and what's important. To have preseason games back, Billy, is huge. Um, obviously, I think there's three of them this year. Uh, and I think the, the one that's going to stand out for Carolina is the middle one against Baltimore. That's great competition. Um, Matt Rule did not have that uh, leverage last year. He wasn't able to evaluate his team from a game perspective. And I, I think a lot of people whine about preseason games, maybe force too much. I tend to agree. But I think that this is going to be great to see preseason games again. Um, and to watch the team evaluate players from a live game perspective. That's invaluable. Matt, talk, you've talked to coaches and scouts. I've done the same. And that was a huge missing piece last year for a lot of teams, I think Carolina included. So it's a young staff still. They're learning. It's a big year for Matt Rule, Billy. He's got to get this thing on track uh, because they're playing quarterback roulette here. Uh, Bridgewater leaves, uh, sort of <laughs> puts his foot in his mouth a little bit about <laughs> some of uh, – what he didn't like in Carolina in terms of the practice schedule and all that. And then he sort of said he was misquoted or misunderstood about that. I just look, no, no offense to Teddy, but I'm glad that experiment's over. I'm glad we can move on. Am I sold on Sam Darnold? Absolutely not. I think Greg Cosell hit the nail on the head. His eyes and feet don't work well together at times. He doesn't do a great job in terms of uh, accuracy, but if he can zone in on that, if, if Sean Ryan, if, if, uh, Joe Brady can can help him develop some consistency. And he's playing with better weapons, too. Maybe he can blossom. But there's a lot riding on this year for this organization. Yep, totally agree. Well, folks, we're going to wrap it up here. And, again, we're going to do our best to bring you as many uh, shows as we can. Uh, yep. Again, we totally understand that this period of the calendar year is a little slow with NFL news and notes. Um, but hey, two years ago, no one expected us to sign Gerald McCoy, and we did. So, yep, they um, did. but irrespective of any personnel news that comes through the pipeline, we'll, we're going to keep you as entertained as possible. John, any last parting thoughts? Not at all, man. This is fun, obviously. Thanks, everybody, for the support out there for the podcast. We've had another record month in terms of uh, downloads and uh, the Blue Wire. Uh, relationship has been great we're happy kevin jones tyler chin all the guys there we're coming up on our one year anniversary billy this is pretty big man we're uh kicking out some good content and uh happy to be doing this with you man enjoying it there it is so again thank you everyone we'll talk to you guys next time bye-bye